Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Do newly released photos confirm that Amber Heard cheated on Johnny Depp? And why wasn't this shown to the jury in their trial? Attorney Catherine Lazardo explains. Plus, an update in the Gabby Petito case. The parents of Brian Laundrie try to toss out a lawsuit over their alleged role in the death of Petito. The question is, will this case go to a jury? And YouTuber Jeremy Hambly from The Quartering discusses the intense legal fight between YouTube stars David Dobrik and Jeff Wittick over a stunt gone bad. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law and Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. The Johnny Depp Amber Heard saga has been continuing even after the trial, and we've reported about the comments that were made in the media by the lawyers, by Heard, and even a juror after the monumental decision by the jury, a decision that found Heard liable to Depp on each count of defamation for her statements in a Washington Post op-ed piece that claimed Depp abused her. Now, as you might recall, during the trial, evidence was presented that Heard, who claimed that she was the victim in their relationship, was actually cheating on Johnny Depp. Now, most notably, there was elevator surveillance footage that was introduced showing actor James Franco allegedly cozying up to Heard, and this happened while he was visiting her at the penthouse that she shared with Depp while the Pirates actor was out of town. This was something that Heard was pressed on by Depp's attorney, Camille Vasquez. That's you and Mr. Franco on May 22nd, 2016, right, Ms. Heard? That's correct. And you're taking him up to the penthouses, aren't you? That's where I lived, yes. And it's past 11 p.m. at night, isn't that right? I'm not quite sure of the time it looked, it looked like that. But now, new photos have come out purportedly showing surveillance footage of Heard making out with model and actress Cara Delevingne. That's right, they were provided to Andy Signore from Popcorn Planet, who went through this on his YouTube page. And while this does remain a question of whether these are unverified photos, they do appear to be real, considering this looks like the same exact footage of the elevator from the Eastern Columbia building that we saw previously. There's no date on the footage, but again, you have to wonder if this is when Heard and Depp were still married. So the question is, how come this wasn't introduced to the jury and what effect could this have had on them? Well, I'm joined right now by plaintiff's attorney, Catherine Lazardo. Catherine, it's great to see you. Great to see you too, Jesse. I have to imagine that Depp's team knew about this, or they could have found out about it. Why wasn't this introduced into trial? I imagine it might be some sort of hearsay issue. Yes, that's what I would think too. You mentioned that there's no date on there. Might be a hearsay issue. Also, it might be an authentication issue. But then again, like you mentioned, they had the video of James Franco in the elevator with Amber Heard. So why did this not come in? Most likely it's a hearsay issue because we saw how Judge Ascarati is really very strict about 
about hearsay evidence coming in. It's funny because Joshua Drew, and by the way, assuming these photos are legitimate, but Joshua Drew, who was married to Heard's friend Rocky Pennington, he said previously in a deposition when asked, did Rocky tell you that Amber Heard was having an affair with Elon Musk and Cara Delevingne while she was still married to Johnny Depp? Drew replied, yes. And then he was questioned again. Joshua Drew is somebody who testified in this case, but this part of his deposition testimony wasn't included. He went on to say, did she ever tell you in words or substance while Amber was still married to Johnny Depp that three of them, Amber Heard, Elon Musk, and Cara Delevingne spent the night together? And Drew says, yes. So they're having a three-way affair? Correct. Now, I have to ask you, Catherine, even though Musk has denied this about them being intimate and he's always maintained that he never had an intimate relationship with Cara Delevingne and he started a relationship with her after she divorced Depp, how come these statements from Joshua Drew, which seem to corroborate the videos, how come this wasn't allowed into evidence? It wasn't allowed because it's hearsay. We heard from that deposition transcript, Josh Drew was saying, uh, the question was, did uh, Rocky tell you? That in itself told you about this affair, that would be objection as hearsay right away. And as I mentioned, Judge Ascarati is is a strict Uh, very strict about hearsay. So that's why that did not come in. But the thing is, though, they could have used that as an impeachment against uh, Drew's testimony. When I was actually watching Drew's videotape deposition being shown during the trial, I thought among all of the the video deposition of Amber Heard's friends that they showed, his video deposition testimony seemed to be credible compared to the other ones. And I think a lot of people felt that way too, if you look at social media. Of course, the jury didn't look at that. Um, And so, but uh, looking just at his testimony, he looked very credible. And so if his testimony... Uh, that video testimony, juxtapose that next to that video, maybe the jury would be persuaded as to whether or not um, that affects Amber Heard's credibility. And it sure does, because how much more would you interpret it, interpret that kind of video? I was going to ask you that, what you think the actual effect of it would be. So let's say Heard's camp had no problem with it coming in. We'll introduce it even over the objection of hearsay. And by the way, just so we're clear, if Drew would have seen this himself and he wasn't getting an account from a third party, then it would have been allowed in, right? Yes, exactly. Because then the, uh, Ben Chu's question to him at, during his deposition would not be, did Rocky tell you? It's more of, did you see uh, or have you ever uh, actually known that Amber Heard would have Elon Musk or Cara Delevingne at their apartment when Johnny Depp is not there? So how come Rocky Pennington or somebody else wasn't brought in to corroborate this affair in this kind of three-way. I guess maybe the question is, how relevant would it have been to the overall case of for Johnny Depp or even Amber Heard? Yes, and that's the ultimate question. And since there are there were two claims here, let's look at it for Johnny Depp's initial defamation. I think for that, it would not have made that big of a difference only because the jury verdict was overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly for him. So even without this video and without Drew's deposition testimony, 
testimony, the jury already believed uh, Johnny Depp and, and already disbelieved the credibility of Amber Heard. So this will just confound that and would not make any difference because Johnny Depp won. Now, looking at the counterclaim, I have a different point of view of that because the jury found in favor of Amber Heard as to that one defamatory statement they claimed by Adam Waldman relating to the hoax that her friends made calling 911 and spilling some wine. Now, the question is, as I mentioned, came across as credible. But if you put his deposition testimony in that video, would the jury think that if his if Amber Heard's friends are willing to cover up her affair, how far would they go to help her and cover up or support her domestic abuse allegation or sexual abuse allegation? We would never know. But right. I think that would have affected the verdict as to Amber Heard's counterclaim. That's a good point. That's a good point. And right now, as of the time of this recording, uh, neither Heard or Cara uh, Delevingne have actually issued a statement in response to this, but these photos are circulating and people have comments. Catherine Lazardo, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, let's move on to a major update in a story that captured the nation by storm last year. I'm talking about Gabby Petito. 22-year-old Petito and her fiancé, 23-year-old Brian Laundry, went on a cross-country road trip that they documented in a van life vlog series on social media. And it ended with authorities discovering Petito's body in Wyoming strangled to death. Laundry's remains were then found in Florida. His death ruled a suicide. The FBI did confirm that Laundry did kill Petito, with authorities recovering a notebook of laundry where he confessed that he killed her. Now, there were many questions surrounding what Laundrie's parents, Christopher and Roberta, knew about all this. After all, Brian had returned to his parents' home in Northport, Florida after Petito went missing, and then he was able to go off on his own. Well, Petito's parents, Joseph Petito and Nicole Schmidt, have filed a lawsuit against the Laundries, claiming that they knew their son killed Gabby, they knew the whereabouts of her body, and they did nothing. And they also claim that they helped their son to evade capture. They also argued that what made this particularly egregious is that while the search for Gabby was ongoing and underway, the allegation being that the laundries, again, knowing that Gabby was dead, they had their lawyer, Stephen Bertolino, issue a statement to the effect of, we hope the search for Gabby is successful and that she returns to her family. So Gabby's parents are now suing under a theory of intentional infliction of emotional distress. Now, the laundries are attempting to dismiss the case, and there was a hearing by Judge Hunter W. Carroll. The motion to dismiss basically happens after a complaint and a lawsuit is filed. And you're basically saying that the, you take the facts as presented. There's no legal cause of action. There's no claim. It has to be dismissed by law. It doesn't even go to a jury because there's nothing for them to decide. So in the hearing, the laundry's attorney, Matthew Luca, argued that what Petito's parents did or did not do did not rise to the level of actionable conduct and that they are protected by the Constitution. The behavior claimed to constitute the intentional infliction of emotional distress must be so outrageous in character and so extreme in degree as to go, all, as to go beyond all possible bounds of decency. That is conduct that is atrocious and utterly intolerable in a civilized society. It is an objective standard and the subjective response of the plaintiffs is not what controls. The issue of whether or not conduct is outrageous is a question of law and for the court to decide. And that standard is extremely high. Well, assume for the sake of argument, the court concludes that there was sufficient allegations that the 
attorney is the agent for the laundry. So assume that to be true. Now we have a situation where the laundries themselves are making a statement and not standing silent. So what does that do to your argument about staying silent? Your Honor, I still, I still don't, um, I, I, I still don't think it necessarily makes a difference. I mean, I understand, I understand what the court's saying that um, that if we impute that statement to the defendants, that, that that would not be complete silence by them. However, the defendants do have a constitutional right to have an attorney and to have that attorney speak. Um, so again, Your Honor, in, in, in my view, the attorney was merely exercising the constitutional rights of both the attorney and of his clients uh, by making a statement. Few interesting points right here. First, the judge actually brought in the Depp Heard trial and saying that an attorney can act as an agent of a client when making a state clear reference to Adam Waldman, Depp's attorney, who made a defamatory statement about Heard that he made on Depp's behalf and Heard, remember, won on that counterclaim. But the other interesting argument here is that the laundries have a right to speak, but also a constitutionally protected Fifth Amendment right to not speak and to not speak to law enforcement. They don't have to incriminate themselves. So you can't sue them for not talking. They don't have a duty. Now, Patrick Riley, who's representing Gabby's parents, had a different interpretation. It's not simply about the silence of Christopher and Roberta, uh, Roberta Laundry, who knew that their son had brutally murdered Gabby Petito. It's not simply about their callous refusal, despite pleas from the Petito family, to speak up about whether or not Gabby was alive and if she wasn't where her body was located. It's about a course of conduct that they committed from the moment they learned on August 28th of 2021 that their son had brutally murdered uh, Gabby Petito up until the time that her body was found. And as this court has, has already noted and pointed out, that includes the statement that was made the one time they decided to speak up, they spoke up through their attorney, and I'll touch upon the importance of that in a little bit. As the court knows, you're bound to accept as true all of the facts alleged in the four corners of the complaint, and I'd just like to, to review what some of those allegations are. Well, let, let me ask you this, Mr. Riley, and, and let's lay aside the, the statement that the attorney made on behalf of the laundries. What duty did the laundries have to do anything to help uh, Mr. Petito and Ms. Schmidt? That's a fair question, Your Honor, and I've struggled with the answer to that particular question. And, and I guess maybe by answering this, I'm deflecting, but my answer is this. It's about what they did with the information that they have, not just not, not disclosing what they knew uh, to the laundries. And by, by the way, they could have, uh, to the Petito family, excuse me, they could have made an anonymous phone call uh, and, and said where the body was located, and, and that would have, would have helped this situation tremendously. It's interesting because if they made an anonymous call and it was eventually linked or backtracked to them, that would implicate them. So again, the question would be, did they have a duty to do that when arguably that would be a waiver of their constitutional rights? But again, Riley really was honing in on the outrageous conduct, particularly Bertolino's statement, and said that it gave Petito's family false hope. Riley even went so far to say that the only reason Bertolino is not a defendant in this case is because he's not a citizen of Florida. That's quite a statement to make. Judge Carroll indicated that he would issue a ruling on this case sometime in the next two weeks. 
Well, the YouTube world can be a dangerous place. Famed YouTuber David Dobrik is facing a lawsuit from YouTuber Jeff Wittick over a failed stunt. See, the two were part of the vlog squad together. And in this stunt, Wittick was swinging from a rope that was tied to an excavator that was driven by Dobrik. But what ended up happening is Wittick gets slammed into the side of the machine. Now, Wittick claims that Dobrik was operating the excavator at unsafe speeds and that this was his fault. According to Wittick, he suffered numerous injuries, including a broken foot and a shattered skull, even though he doesn't quite list out the injuries in his complaint. And he's suing for $10 million under a negligence and intentional tort theory. So to make sense of what's going on here, I'm joined by YouTuber Jeremy Hambly from The Quartering. Jeremy, good to meet you and glad to have you on. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. This certainly is an, an interesting case, especially it seems like it happened forever ago and uh, only now uh, we're seeing some movement in terms of uh, a lawsuit between the two. Well, what do you know about these guys? Because not everybody's familiar with the YouTube world. What should we know? I feel like they had a beef. There's something's going on with them. Well, they they kind of grew up grew up together on YouTube. Dobrik being, I think, the first guy really to kind of make it, and then Jeff appearing on his channel as a part of his vlog squad. And through his own hard work, you know, uh, not to take anything away from him, built his own very popular channel and um, has kind of struck out on his own, creating content. Now he's doing like interviews while cutting people's hair. People seem to really like his content. Dobrik seemingly less active these days, but at one time extremely popular YouTuber averaging between five and 10 million views every time he did something. And what did you think of the stunt? I mean, is this something typically they've done before? It seemed a little, I mean, it looked like it was going to end bad. Yeah, wildly irresponsible stunt. You know, at the time, as a as a commentator on YouTube, I see a lot of these YouTubers doing dangerous things. And there's been things over the years that YouTube has done in terms of the terms of service to disincentivize dangerous type content. One example would be the rise and fall of like uh, prank channels. Everyone's always trying to one up the next craziest thing, the next craziest thing. People are doing this uh, inflammatory in the hood pranks and people are getting hurt or very dangerous. So YouTube disincentivizes that. This is coming from an era of YouTube where you were we're able to do a lot of this this wild stuff. It wasn't the first time I've seen these excavator kind of tossing people around in lakes uh, videos before. Uh, certainly not at at this scale, and certainly not operated by somebody who is clearly not uh, a licensed excavator uh, user. I'm not sure if there's actually a license required, but he's certainly not somebody who uses an excavator regularly. Yeah, and I, I think the goal was they were going to be trying to do other stunts on it, maybe like wakeboarding or things like that. And according to Dobrik, he says that Wittick was the one whose idea was, hey, why don't I start swinging from it? I don't know these guys. I don't know what they're about. But, you know, I just saw the video. I learned I learned a little bit about them. Does it seem like something that that's what it would be? I mean, does this guy, Wittick, have the reputation of being kind of a daredevil? I think that it's entirely plausible that when you get a bunch of testosterone and money combined and uh, and kind of the draw of the next big viral video it's entirely possible that Wittick did propose this and it's entirely possible to, quite frankly as somebody on the outside he's clearly a willing participant in it which is what i thought was you know this is just me editorializing but i thought it was really weird that he would sue him because he was very clearly a willing participant in it but sometimes that's not how it works you know he can be a willing participant and david dobrik could still bear some legal responsibility 
Yeah, I mean, just watching the video, you, you kind of see it going faster and faster, and it's kind of losing control a bit. I think everybody got a little bit concerned, and then he, when he stops it, it slams right in there. So Dobrik had come forward and said this is the worst thing that's ever happened to him, and he calls it a, a regret. But again, I don't know if he's taking full responsibility for it. Whitaker says, according to him, that Dobrik never called him and never spoke to him after this. I mean, do you know anything about that? I mean, I think there's been some attempts between the two. One thing that I would point out, and I don't, I don't, I'm not choosing sides in this at all, but I think it's also important to point out that Jeff Whitaker built a massive career off this injury. After the injury, he launched a Patreon that had somewhere near 40,000 paying backers where he had generated millions of dollars, according to TubeFilter, after the incident. And so maybe, you know, between friends, you can't both complain about it being the worst thing in your life and then also make millions of dollars off the back of the incident. I suppose I'm just an outsider looking in, but I would argue that that probably sent a little frostiness between the two. Um, and then the lawsuit on top of it where again, I'm pretty sure that Wittick was a willing participant here. Problem is when you have a YouTube channel with 15 million subscribers or whatever, you could probably have a stunt expert. You could probably have done this in a safer way than just a couple of bros renting an excavator and putting it in the ocean. And I think that's that's going to be what they're going to have to prove in court, I would imagine. And just so we know, have they ever done any of these kinds of stunts before? I mean, what made them so famous? They kind of grew up in the in the vlog kind of big, you know, oh, we're giving away a bunch of money or we're doing this wild, crazy thing. Kind of like pre-Mr. Beast era of YouTube content where it was largely wholesome content that was created for the specific purpose of going viral, if that makes sense. You know, we do we do this insane thing. We tune in and find out. And that that era of YouTube is gone now for the most part, at least the dangerous stunts or pranks or um, stuff like that. There's still people out there like giving away. You know, we gave we gave we gave away fifty thousand dollars to homeless people in this video kind of kind of stuff. Content that, again, like I said, is designed to go viral is and was popularized by by this vlog squad group and David Dobrik was very good at it and made a lot of money at it. I hope for everyone's sake, these kind of stunts do eventually stop because, you know, like you said, they don't end well. Jeremy Hambly from The Quartering, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for having me on. It was, uh, it was great talking to you. Thanks for joining us here on Sidebar. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sidebar is produced by Sam Goldberg and Sean Bauer, YouTube manager Robert Zoki and Alyssa Fisher as booking producer. I'm Jesse Weber. Speak to you next time.